Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, we're continuing our series on uh, what we believe, our statement of faith called We Believe. Uh, and we're going to look at our text here in a moment. Now, as the internet does, probably to you as it does to me, it, it tells me of some disease that I didn't know I had. Or it demands that I read something about some topic that I had no interest in earlier. Uh, that happened to me recently on a topic regarding the appendix. Uh, this article recently asked this question, what if humans didn't have an appendix? The subtitle was, the organ may not be as useless, a useless artifact of evolution after all. Now, why would they ask this? Well, Charles Darwin suggested that this particular organ was unnecessary. Um, he included other items like muscles of the ear, wisdom teeth, and our tailbone. That somehow, over evolution, our ancestors, at one point, the uh, appendix was necessary, but due to the diet over time and evolutionary process, it was no longer needed. Uh, data suggests that one in 100,000 people were born without one, and one in 20 people get an appendicitis, which might be some folks right in here that you have had that thing cut out um, because of some medical complication. But studies have shown recently that there is proof this is really important. It is necessary for our bodies. William Parker, an associate professor of surgery at Duke University of Medicine, says this, if Darwin knew then what scientists know now about the appendix, he would have never suggested it was worth a worthless vestige of evolution. And so these recent studies show that it is part of our gut health and it adds and contributes to our immune system, which is great. It serves a purpose. And as I thought about this, I, I considered the many things in our life as we live our life, the many things that it's easy for either time, history, circumstances, or situations or experiences in our life to make a determination if something's significant or not in our life. Maybe it's sort of out of sight and that therefore is no value. Maybe there's a complication regarding that thing and so we cut it out entirely from our life. Or sometimes it just seems so small or tiny we don't think we have a need of it. Now, as grateful as I am to God for science, we can look to God who creates and we want to hear him for its purpose and its significance. When we tune into what God says and what he does and what he designs, we realize that all that God does has purpose. And this morning we're going to talk about the church. We're going to consider the church. And as we continue this series, we're going to look at what God has designed and has created and consider this morning, hopefully in a, a fresh way, a reminder, uh, it's great purpose. It's cosmic, glorious purpose. In some people's minds, however, the church has little to no value, or maybe based on your upbringing, maybe your experience, maybe pain, it has shaped what view you should have of the church, and we all have our stories, and some of us have tasted of the good of that, the blessings of that, the the connectivity and the means of grace that the church is for our life. And so I want us to consider what God in eternity past has planned for the good of his people 
and for his glory this morning. And so we're going to really just look at two kind of big headings the church created. We're going to consider what God has designed, begin with that, and then the church described. So, so more, how could we identify what a church is and what it's to do? And so we're going to consider a text here this morning, allow it to kind of be a springboard for us into this topic. So if you have your Bibles open, Ephesians chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 7 through 12 this morning, and then we're going to just pray and ask the Lord to be with us. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very, le- very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we, we begin by coming to you asking for your help this morning. These are, are rich truths that we're going to talk about this morning. And, and each of us come in and sit here this morning with experiences histories with the church and all shades of realities of beautiful and good and hard and painful. And so Lord, we we don't want to come in this morning with our own assumptions of what that should and shouldn't be. We want to hear from you. We want your spirit to guide us. We want your word to be what shapes what we should feel and how we should respond. And so we ask for your help. We ask for your spirit to come and allow that to be the thing we, we experience this morning. Please do that, Lord, for your glory and, Lord, for our, our joy. Amen. Amen. Now, we'll begin with some observations, and I said this will kind of lead us into our topic. And so Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, and he, he's be, beginning to articulate this special calling that he has, this vocation, this job that God has assigned him by grace to be a minister, to serve others in the Lord's power. And he identifies sort of these two uh, complementary things, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and to bring to light for everyone. And he tells us what this message is, this this thing he's going to bring to light and to be revealed. It, It is what he calls the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is, this is the gospel. This is these riches of Christ, all that he has done in his life, death, and resurrection that he is, is identifying as unsearchable. As, consider this ocean, this ocean that is so deep and so wide and so beautiful and so vast that all of time looking at it, you cannot exhaust all the beauty and glory that is inside this ocean of riches. And he's called to preach this message, this message, and to bring to light this, what he calls a mystery. A mystery uniquely that his call is 
regarding to the Gentiles. Now, this mystery is not a sort of secret thing that only super spiritual people have access to, and it's not something that is now still a mystery. It's something that was once not known, but now is revealed, truth that God has uh, made known. And what is this mystery? Look at your Bibles at verse 6. He says this, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is, the go- this, is this mystery. The, the gospel has come, and Gentiles, who were once excluded from all these promises, are now heirs, co-heirs, and sharers in the inheritance, the blessings, the covenant, the promise of God that was once reserved for select people, they now have access to God through the gospel. John Stott uh, summarizes this way. To sum it up, we may say the mystery of Christ is the complete union of Jews and Gentiles with each other through the union of both with Christ. It is this double union with Christ and with each other which was the substance of this mystery. So how does this double union to Christ, how does this, and with one another, come into play? Well, Ephesians is all about what makes this possible. The, the first three chapters in this book are beautiful, beautiful. The whole book is. I, I would encourage you, if you want to just think deeply about the church and your role in the church, just take some time and slow down and meditate on this epic book. It is all about the church. And we see from the beginning, the very first chapter, even what we was pointed to last week, the work of the Spirit making dead people alive in Christ, uniting them to Jesus to become like him. And God makes those objects of wrath, like all all the children of mankind we see in chapter 2, who were separated from Christ, excluded from the citizenship of his kingdom, foreigners to the covenant, without hope, without God, through Jesus, are now called beloved. Beloved, sons and daughters of God. Ephesians chapter 1. And now they are lavished with grace and with mercy in the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. Those people are sealed then with the Holy Spirit all the way to the end. And this is done by grace Chapter 2, not by any works done by them that no one can boast, but that their boast would only be in Christ. And he does this. We see unfold in chapter 3, Jew and Gentile, all races, the hostility that those members, those people had towards God and their sin, the hostility that existed between other people groups is now broken down and God makes one man, uniting them with Christ, uniting them with one another by his blood. This does not come by obeying laws, no more than being born into a particular family, but it is through Christ. And these people become now the household of God, his temple, the place where his spirit dwells in them. Chapter four, one body, one spirit, one hope, one baptism, one God, one father of all. And this is all to the praise of his glorious grace. That's just the first half of the book. The second half, he begins to unfold because of all of this and what has been done. Now you begin to live this out. 
It shapes who you are. It changes how you live as families, in our relationship, in our forgiveness, in our care, in our work, in our talk. This new community that God has created, this family, this new society formed and created by God through Jesus and his gospel is the church. That is what God would call his church. Now, the Greek word translated church in the New Testament is this word ekklesia. Literal translation of it means an assembly or a called out assembly, the called out ones. Nine times you see this in the book of Ephesians. And the, the range, it's a very flexible word. Sometimes it distinguishes a very localized work of people. But it also describes all people of all time who are God's people. It's an assembly of those in maybe a house or maybe it's an assembly of those in a region, a, a group of churches gathered together. And yet our church, this idea of church has its origin in the Old Testament. God created a people to dwell in his presence with him. We see this in the very beginning, Adam and Eve. And then we see God's call of Abraham. He made a covenantal promise that through his offspring, the world would be blessed. Promised through the prophets of a new people where God's law would be written on their hearts, not just tablets of stone. And they're no longer a nation birthed into by blood, or a family, but birthed by the Spirit. And his kingdom is where his rule is in the hearts of his people. And this was fulfilled in Jesus' coming, his life, death, resurrection, his ascension. He sends the Spirit. Pentecost happens. Spirit is poured out, and they are the new covenant people of God, made alive by the Spirit, sustained by the Spirit, the Word, and the Gospel. And we just, we just heard this text earlier in 1 Peter. These are, the, these are the ones that God has called out into himself. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So all the Old Testament saints who looked in faith towards this Messiah, Christ, and all those now who are trusting in Christ, all of those called out ones is what theologians would call the, the universal church. Our start, statement of faith puts it this way. The universal church is the true worshiping community of God's people, composed of all the elect from all time. Throughout salvation history, God, by his word and spirit, has been calling sinful people out of the whole human race to create a new redeemed humanity whom Christ purchased with his blood. So this, this thing we here are a part of, this means the church is God's idea. This isn't, this isn't man's concoction. This isn't some institution that we have come up and tooled. This is a grand design by our sovereign, glorious God to be called into his redeemed humanity, to be called into Christ, that idea of double union is to be called into his body, the church. You don't get one without the other. There is no Christian who exists detached from his church. It is not possible. This union with Christ, this union with God's people, 
all of this gospel power, all of this accomplishment has a great end. Look back in chapter 3 at verse 10. Paul describes what the gospel has done in his call. This gospel that has gone and saved the Gentile, saved the Jew, united them into one man. So that through the church, verse 10, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God. This word manifold is just, means many colored, like a descri- description of a tapestry. The multifaceted, the multi-layers of God's wisdom and his glory is displayed because of the revelation of Jesus in his gospel through his son, saving a people of all types, of all nations, of all tongues. The, this is the eternal purpose, verse 11, that God has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is glorious. This is no small thing, cross of grace, that you are a part of. What was hidden, now revealed, so those who are saved, and then there's this audience that is described here, this invisible spiritual audience, meaning possibly both demons and angels, which are not omniscient, are not all-knowing like God, are, are spectators observing this cosmic redemptive plan as God unfolds his redeeming history that will come in its conclusion one day when he returns. They're watching real time, God's plan, bringing all peoples, the people that, that God would charge pastors to shepherd the flock that he purchases with his blood. It's by his son's work through his resurrection that this message through his church church, is at the strategic core of all God's plan and redemption. This is is the audience. They're observing all that this is going on. I met somebody recently who, I don't know if you're watching the finals, NBA finals, and wasn't very happy with the Suns losing last night. I was born in Arizona, and so I've got some affinity there. I'm rooting for them. But this guy had tickets to go to one of the finals games, and uh, it was pretty, pretty epic. And I learned about some of the cost of some of these tickets, and it's unreal. To go to see a, a think about it, the, the concert that you would want to go to to see, the grand audience you would want to be a part of, if it's a star, if it's a game, if it's a musician, the cost of those tickets rise based on who you're going to see, the, the level of value of that situation. And God is saying here, all of the cosmos, all the spiritual beings are clued in, observing the value and the epic reality of what God is doing. This is huge stuff. This is big stuff. And even now, God is making known the unsearchable riches of Christ in and through his church, his redeemed people, this heavenly crowd already with the Lord and now here in these earthly expressions called local churches scattered all over the earth, Asia, Pakistan, Mexico, Philippines, Minnesota, and right here in Chaska. You and I are part of that. You and I are part of that. If you have your Bibles open, you can just turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 says this, he raised him, Christ, from the dead 
and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. By his gospel work, Jesus is exalted above all things. All will bow to him. The demons are defeated. Sin has been vindicated. And his name and his glory is exalted. And he is now head leader of his church. And, and observe this, Cross of Grace. Now see this. He, where does he choose to display the fullness of his glory and who he is? Where does he dwell? His body. His body, his church, the church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. I should just bring a unique, a unique uh, blessing to your heart. The value of what God says about who you are as part of his church. I don't want to be disconnected. I want to experience all the grace and the goodness and the beauty and the hard of what that means to be connected to the fullness of him who is all in all. God's design is that we experience him, his grace, his mercy, and his word, and the church becomes this, this evidence, this outworking, the display of his hands and his feet and his grace and his mercy to an earth. To a world who needs to know and see him. John Calvin put it this way. It is the task of the visible church to make the invisible reign of Christ visible to the world. His church is not option B or C. This wasn't a spontaneous idea. This wasn't some useless appendage in God's plan of redemption. It's not a side project collecting dust that we just don't get around to. I had this vision of resurfacing my cabinetry in my bathroom, and I did an example of that like two years ago, and it's still sitting there as a sample. <laughs> the rest of the cabinetry has not been completed. One day. This is no side project to what God is doing for his glory in this world. And it's good. And it's glorious, and it's God's divine community. He designed, he thought up, he created, locally expressed in gatherings like this and all over the world. And one day, as Jesus comes back, he says, who's doing, I will build my church. There was one church. will assemble around his throne, worshiping him, thanking him, glorifying him because of what he has done in his redemption. That's good. That's good. So this is God's idea. The church is his design. He created that thing. And so let's think about the way the Bible helps us understand it. The church described. So if this is central to what God is doing, let's talk about some of the sort of the nuts and bolts. I've just put it in a few categories. I've used the word M, metaphors, marks, membership, mission. So a little bit of a flyover. Each of these could be considered a sermon in themselves. So this new covenant community, this new society comes with new 
responsibilities, new roles, new obligations. And the Bible gives us metaphors and descriptions to help us understand what it's like and how to do that. One of them, God calls his church God's family. We spoke already about this. We are God's chosen people. And now we are his household. This is God's family. He is our father. We are his sons and daughters. Jesus is told us he is our big brother. Ephesians 2.19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are part of God's family. We are all siblings in that glorious family. We have the best dad. God's flock, the idea of being his sheep. He is our good shepherd and we are cared for and we're led and protected and healed by him. Psalm 103, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We're described as Christ's body. We are connected to the Lord, as integrated and vital as each part of your body is to function and be well, so that every person, every individual, every member of that body is vital and needful and contributes to the health of that. Jesus is our head as we lead him, as he determines what we're to do, we follow and obey, and as we are members of that body. We're fellow workers. God's work is not complete, so he employs us to be his fellow workers in his kingdom. We are God's building and his temple emphasizes God's dwelling by the spirit with his people. A building does not contain his presence. This building right here, this theater does not contain his presence. It dwells within you and I. We are Christ's bride. Ephesians 5 talks about how he died and gave himself up for his bride. God's unique love, his commitment, his fidelity, his covenantal faithfulness to his spouse, and that is us. And notice how all of these descriptors bring in different facets of what it means to be part of his church, like relational intimacy and connectivity, and we all have a part to play, and we can't survive alone from that place. It speaks of our life and our vitality as a church. And God gives all those things for us to understand who we are. If you are a, if if you or your family member, we experience this in our household, has allergies, food allergies, you're super health conscious, even maybe you are prone to or need to read labels of ingredients on everything you eat. What is present or maybe what is absent from that thing. And when we look at churches, we have a tendency to consider what are the ingredients of those things. Sometimes we put importance on things that maybe don't need to be ingredients, and sometimes we don't overlook the ones that should be present. Well, this is nothing new that people had to wrestle through. The reformers in the, during Reformation history, a lot of confusion and distortions of what the church was, and they took time to kind of dial in what are some marks of a healthy church? How can we have certain ingredients that would be most essential to a church? There's many things that we could consider, but they boil down to three things. I'll just mention these quickly. The true gospel or the right preaching of the word. So preaching of the gospel is being heard and taught. The sacraments instituted by Jesus, baptism, and the Lord's table are rightly administered. So the gospel is being seen through that. And then church discipline is rightly enacted. The gospel is protected and, and guarded. So the right preaching of the word means there's a clear proclamation of salvation 
in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. And it is in preaching and teaching and singing the whole counsel of God. God's church is edified and built up. It means we're fulfilling the great commission that we're teaching all that Jesus commands. There's maturity to his church. The sacraments are properly administered in that the church is healthy and edified by considering the importance and administrating properly. Baptism is seen as an entry point, the initiatory place to give public proclamation and identification with Jesus into the church. And then the Lord's table is a, an ongoing declaring that we are in right communion with the Lord. We're right in right communion and relationship with those in the body. And then all of these things, if not walked out properly or kept, church discipline becomes necessary for the purpose of the church's purity, the church's health, and the church's witness. And so it is a responsibility of every Christian to commit to join a genuine church which seeks faithfulness in these. Now, layered in these marks, you will find that you would need qualified leaders to help serve that. Ephesians 4 and Titus 1 speak to those things, that there are leaders who help care and lead and administrate in the church. Therefore, God gives elders or pastors to lead God's church, to teach, to oversee, to care for, to protect and that the flock entrusted to them. And God calls deacons who provide various needs and service to the church and acts of service. And God then uses all of the gifts within the body to continue that as well. Our statement of faith, we put it this way. As an expression of Christ's universal church, the local church is the focal point of God's plan to mature his people and save sinners. Therefore, all Christians are to join themselves as committed members to a specific local church. A true church is marked by the faithful preaching of the word, the right administration of the sacraments, and the proper exercise of church discipline. Even true churches are imperfect. They often contain a mixture of unbelievers hidden among the true flock and are vulnerable to theological error and moral failure. Yet Christ is unwavering in his commitment to build his church and will surely bring it to maturity. I'm thankful for that last promise there in the, the end of that line, that God will build his church and he will preserve his people. So if the universal church is the redeemed of all time, the local church is a specific expression of those people. Given... It is made up of redeemed people and yet still fallen people, not yet perfected, both pastors and both members. We look for marks of health and we pursue those things, but we don't look for perfection. We don't look for perfection. It's, it's messy. It's hard. But it's where God's people are and it's where his gospel is. Charles Spurgeon would speak to this reality. He said, if I had never joined a church till I found one that was perfect, I should have never joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it. For it would not have been perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. Just a surface reading of the New Testament letters and epistles, you made, you made quickly aware of God's church and the constant need for encouragement and change and rebuke and help. 
Because they're sinners, full of sinners, united by the gospel, living out the beauty of the gospel, but it takes patience. It, it takes patience, it takes time, and it takes a lot of gospel power to do this thing. Lots of gospel power. It is only the power of the gospel, actually, that makes it possible. That's why Paul would charge after laying out three chapters of the beauty of the gospel in chapter four, verse three, be eager to maintain unity. You think just by preaching that those first few chapters, everything would be God. But he's saying, no, because of all these things true, these true, these things are true, our union with him, our union with one another, one body, one spirit, one Lord, we need to be eager to maintain things because we drift from them. Hell is against his church. Satan hates his church, God's church, and hates his people. He hates Jesus' mission. He wants to thwart it. He wants to thwart loving unity of God's people, the mission of God's people. And so the Ephesians is littered with dangers and encouragements regarding unforgiveness and bitterness and mistrust and dishonesty and selfishness and malice and anger and gossip and slander and impatience. Yet in all those troubles and temptations and weaknesses, we have this promise. Jesus is our head. Jesus is our head and the one who has all things under his feet, all his power and glory, who says that our, but in us, God has made the immeasurable greatness of his power available to his people. We can walk it out. We can walk it out with one another. And so flowing from the reality, that's what makes the reality of membership important. If we are called into God's big C, the big church through Christ, our union connects us to him and his body. His people in turn identify with other believers to walk that out in a local expression, to commit themselves. Now you won't see the word church membership in your Bible, but it's very clear implicitly. There are directives to leaders to choose leaders from among the church. And that those in the church, meaning there is a local body distinguished from those who are outside of the body. Numerical record was kept. Elders were held accountable for the particular members. Records were kept of certain widows in the church. People were added to the church. There was an awareness of those who were in the church as a member and those who were not practicing the sacraments properly and they would be determined to uh, find discipline in those situations. The very commands to love, forgive, bear one another's burdens, and all the other one another's of Scripture around us calls us to realize we are committing to a certain group of people to fulfill that, and we're aware when we are not walking in those one another's as well. And so a couple things of that reminds us that we can't live out God's design for a local church contained to a Sunday morning. The one another's would call us to realize that we've got to walk that out throughout our week, throughout our life. And as thankful as I am for technology, in particular this COVID year, the internet church and iChurch is not possible to live out what God has purposed and committed to. And I realize there's a means and a good, even for some still in that, but there, that cannot be the end. It is connected. It is a body. It is a family. It is a community. 
that must be lived out together. So in joining, you're giving yourself to one another in a way that calls us to edify others, to build up his church, and that, that takes place in community within his true church. And as I was preparing this week and even just having time to talk with Hillary, it, it, was, it was good for my heart to think back over the history and me, be, us being able to consider what we have received from a true church through the community right here. Eight years ago today, eight years ago today, Hillary and I and our kids, we were up north. We kind of do an annual sort of Duluth North Shore vacation, at least we try to. This was one of those years, eight years ago, and this one was unlike any one that we've ever had. Somehow, I think swimming in lakes the week prior, we got maybe equali or something like that. So we were all laid up in this cabin, sick. I don't have to go in detail about what equali does to your body, but it was pretty bad. And in that same time, Hillary and I were facing our second miscarriage and her body was going through the trauma of that in this, these same days. We were in our hotel room, one that last night in Duluth, and over, over the night, we got a phone call from her, her mom that we didn't hear, uh, waking up to a voicemail that said that her brother had been shot and killed in a traumatic situation. It was sorrow upon sorrow for us that, that week. And um, so we began to communicate to others about what was going on. Drove home, sort of shock and awe. And we won't forget this. We, we pulled up to our house. And Scott and Angela were there waiting for us. ready to hug us and pray for us, and pizza in hand. Waves of care came following that from many others. Um, somebody in the church we didn't even know, they just started coming. This guy worked for Delta, and he rushed to us and said, I, I got your tickets taken care of. Here's some passes so you can get to, to California. And other families took our kids, said, we're taking your children. Don't worry about it. We got everything figured out so I could be with her and we could be present. That, granted, that was a pretty massive situation, but we, we experienced the care of God through that situation. Through people, through God's church. My family has been a part of Cross of Grace from the beginning. It could be marriage, Many, some of you here were at my wedding. Boy, that was a long time ago. It'd be 20 years this year. Through our children, through house moves, through care packages when we were struggling, through people supporting us financially when we had a need, taking our kids when we need a much needed break, car repairs, home repairs. So many tangible expressions of God's love for you. And those tangibles are beautiful, but, but more than that, my soul was cared for. Our souls were cared for. We, we were 
cared for, we were pastored, we were taught, we were connected to preaching of the gospel and being able to sing the gospel on a Sunday following hearing about this tragic incident, building us into Jesus Christ, building us into his word again and again and again. Even though it's messy, even though it's been hard, it, it is God's faithfulness through people by the gospel. And nothing can replace that. And there's nothing greater in the earth than that. Because that is what we will enjoy for eternity one day, gathered as his church around our Savior Jesus. The manifold wisdom of God breaking into my family. The manifold wisdom of God breaking into your lives. And you each probably have your own stories in that. And this is an overflow of the reality of the gospel in each of your life. And so, that's all going somewhere. There's a, there's a directive in all of that. The Great Commission and the Great Commandment guides us in our mission. You guys are very familiar with these texts, right? Matthew 28, all authority, Jesus says, has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. And lo and behold, I am with you always, always, even to the end of the age. And then Jesus would call us to love God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. So churches exist for those purposes, that mission, to worship God, to love him, to, to edify and mature God's people, and to be on his, his mission to take his gospel to bear witness of his kingdom to the world. And that's our, our mission here at Cross Grace, sort of embedded in those words we say each week, treasuring the Lord, loving him, worshiping him, and then living that out with one another as the gospel matures us, as we grow together, and then proclaiming the gospel to the world. This is how our statement of faith summarizes what we would echo here. The church's mission is to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded. We do this by proclaiming the gospel, planting churches, and adorning the proclamation of the gospel through our love and good works. There will always be a gathering of believers on earth because the Lord promises to build, guide, and preserve his church to the end of the age. And when Christ returns, he will gather and perfect his church from every tribe, tongue, and nation as a people for his own possession, and we will dwell with them forever. So church, this whole thing that we're doing is going to culminate in something. And, and everything that we do now has purpose. Has purpose. Has purpose as we're getting prepared and as we're inviting others to be prepared for that one day. So in the meantime, as Christ grows us, and we're not perfect yet, but in his perfection that will come, we, we serve one another. We love one another. We encourage one another. We preach the gospel to one another. We gather and come under his word and we seek to mature as disciples and we seek to, to make disciples for Jesus. And in all the troubles and ups and downs we know that we are going to face, we know that he preserves us. He's been, he's been preserving his church for century after century after century after century and he'll keep doing it. He'll keep doing it. 
So Cross of Grace, you, 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 and you, and you, and you, and you, and you are all part of that. This glorious mission. And this is where it's going, Revelation 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for calling us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And being in your light is really being able to be in you, Jesus, to be with you, to be connected to you, to know you, to one day be with you forever. But Lord, you don't call us and just save us individually. You, you, you call us and save us into your people. You call us and save us and you, you, you bind us to your church. And we get to come together in, in all our imperfect measures and our imperfect ways, Lord, to try to live that out through your son, Jesus, the gospel alone that makes that possible. And Lord, there is so much good in that. So much grace, so much benefit, so much glory for you and so much joy for us. So I just, I pray for us as a church, particularly in this season, Lord, would you just amplify those things. Give us eyes to see, give give us hearts to feel and know and and where there's maybe a, a line we're riding, where there's maybe, maybe fatigue or weariness or maybe even sin present, Lord, you would come in and with your gospel bring and mend and strengthen and, and fix and forgive. Because this big, glorious thing, Lord, is, is, is pretty massive. And Lord, you have brought us in to be a part of that. And, and Lord, when we do, you get much glory. And Lord, we do benefit from the good of that. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.